Welcome, market participants, to another Three Things in Credit. I'm Van Hesser, Chief Strategist at KBRA. Each week, we bring you three things impacting credit markets that we think you should know about. This has been another tough week on the news front, and we're setting up for a rocky September-October. But for now, let's enjoy the last days of summer while we can. Me? I'm headed out to Central Park this weekend with 60,000 of my closest vaccinated friends for the New York City Homecoming concert. Why am I hearing progressive insurances, Dr. Rick asking, is that a good idea? Anyway, let's get started. This week, our three things are, one, squaring up deteriorating economic growth with stretched valuations. Two, China's fluid policy-driven initiatives are creating a headwind for the global economy. And three, in search of Tina Turner's, no, not that Tina Turner, we're looking for things that will change the course of Tina investing, as in there is no alternative. All right, let's dig a bit deeper. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had recently with market participants who have gotten stuck trying to reconcile negative economic and market news with stretched valuations of risk assets, stocks, and credit. I watched one interview on Bloomberg this week that got downright testy and personal. Nerves are frayed and psyches are fried. It's been that kind of year and a half and counting. Here's what we know. One, the global economy and the U.S. economy are slowing. Maybe we shouldn't say deteriorating because that suggests that something is falling apart. Economies are not falling apart. They are correcting, normalizing. Economic output is contracting as countries move through, if not past, massive fiscal stimulus and central bank accommodation. And that is causing dislocations in economic activity, such as supply chain friction and qualified labor shortages, and negative prints and trends in economic data. Two, 2021 is not normal. The U.S. does not naturally, organically grow at 6.2%, the current Bloomberg consensus forecast. Not even close. So when you're asked if growth is delayed or derailed, it's neither. The economy is growing, just at a slower rate. And three, valuations are stretched. By most measures, stocks are valued at levels only seen in the dot-com bubble, and credit yields have touched all-time lows. So these things are incongruous. Yes? Well, not necessarily. By historic standards, you can certainly make that case. Looking backward, risk looks rich. But historic data is not all that useful when taking into consideration the hand investors have been dealt today. A 100-year health crisis. Never seen before fiscal stimulus and monetary accommodation. Powerful deflationary forces around the world driven by technology and globalization. This time really is different. U.S. rates look rich until you see where European and Asian rates are trading. U.S. stocks look rich until you consider what underlying earnings dynamics are supporting foreign equities. And U.S. credit looks rich until you consider risks and returns in overseas markets. You may have to hold your nose to buy U.S. risk at these levels, but the thesis remains sound, starting with I probably am not paid to sit in cash, so what are my alternatives? Hello, Tina. There is no alternative. Now, getting back to the challenge at hand, how do we reconcile slowing economic growth with stretched valuations of risk assets 
we would make this point. These two things do not move in some mechanical lockstep. One informs the other to be sure. But when the cause of the slowdown, the fading away of fiscal and monetary support is truly extraordinary, and where the investing alternatives generally pale in comparison, you can make the case to be long U.S. risk here. The final word worth injecting into this discussion, no one ever lost money taking gains. Q4 is bound to be volatile for reasons we'll discuss in our third thing. Year to date, the S&P 500 is up 17%, while high yield is up only 3.5%, and investment grade credit is down fractionally. Stocks with greater sensitivity to headlines and sitting on big gains are more vulnerable to correct over the near term than credit. All right, on to the second thing, China's fluid policy initiatives. We here at the podcast think quite a bit about China. With risk markets priced for perfection, uncertainty is not welcome. And uncertainty with regard to China is meaningful and mounting. The crackdown on its tech and education sectors rising consumer and commercial leverage, relationship with Taiwan, relationship with the US, we could go on. Economically, China matters. It represents nearly 20% of global GDP and over the past five years it has accounted for one third of global growth. The direction of travel, however, is not positive. This week brings fresh evidence of China's economy slowing. To help us sift through this story is KBRA's head of sovereign ratings, Joan Feldbaum Vidra, Joan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Van. So Joan, uh, China released its monthly economic data this week and the FT characterized it as sharply underperforming. Now, some of this is attributable to widespread flooding and a spike in coronavirus cases related to the Delta variant. At this stage of the recovery, how would you compare China's growth recovery to that of the US? What is similar is that the US and China are both at the more advanced stages of exit despite the risks that are brewing from variants. What's also similar is that growth can't be sustained and there's a lot of slack that characterizes both economies' growth stories. Their recuperation, supply side bottlenecks, and consumer spending hesitation. The recent data posts on industrial production, retail sales, and fixed investment in China point to more negative trends than the many market participants expected, indicating that demand and supply side factors are also at stake in China, like the US. What's different between the two is more expansive. In the US, the consumer is all important. In China, the recent policy action in small part is to make the consumer more important as well. Here, I'm referring to some of the regulation that's been introduced to prop up wages. However, in China, investment is a key driver. And related to this is a topic we at KBRA have covered pretty extensively. There are some question marks about the quality of investment in China because so much of it has been state-led and it's not necessarily efficiently allocated. And because the debt buildup has been so rapid and large, all of that creates questions. With an investment rate of about 45% of GDP, that's the number we need our eye on. Thanks for that perspective, Joan. Now, it's interesting to think about the two countries in the mix of markets-driven initiatives versus policy-driven ones. Talk about China's policy priorities, which really seem to be fluid these days. Van, you're right. China's policy shifts of late are dramatic. The government is reasserting its authority by targeting economic actors such as the digital economy that have been amassing influence and control. The moves seem intended to reallocate and re-centralize control. For example, 
One of the regulatory clampdown measures targets variable interest entities, VIEs. And this should negatively impact foreign investment, which as you know, has been flowing in. The clampdown on the tech companies, including FinTech and the big internet companies has been well reported in the press. And the focus here has been abuse of monopoly power and control over the all important data. So there are some idiosyncratic factors at work here as well, correct? Yes, there's also flooding, as you mentioned, and pockets of COVID infections, the latter causing the shutdown of a major port and renewed travel and social restrictions. This is creating not only an economic headwind in China, but also around the world, given the important link China forms in global supply chains. And so we're also seeing increased defaults coming out of the corporate sector in China. That's not typically been part of the story. Uh, I assume some of this has to do with some of the policy changes in China. Uh, What do you see as behind sort of rising defaults in China? It's true. Again, the hand of the state is evident here. This reflects tightening credit conditions, which including the clamping down on local government financing activities through LGFVs, that's local government financing vehicles. Locally directed financing has been a very important part of the credit fuel growth story as of late. I would not be surprised if we'd see more defaults coming because of this clampdown. So to sum it up, I'm not sure that we will see such buoyant growth going forward in China beyond the more negative short-term outlook that I noted as compared to what was previously anticipated. Longer term, we're not going to see the debt-fueled growth bend of the past, plus the government seems to be putting the brakes on economic agents in the economy, which may be seen as negative for investment. The all-important investment rate in China is likely to come down. Well, great. Thanks for that perspective, Joan. What happens in China is increasingly important to what happens in terms of the global recovery and and global growth. It's an important factor that we watch very closely at KBRA here, and we would encourage investors to keep track of this story as well. All right, on to our third thing, in search of Tina Turner's. No, we were not clever enough to come up with that characterization, but you have to admit it's kind of catchy. Now, the mark of a good analyst, from my perspective, has always been the ability to call a turn. So what will turn this market? There is no alternative or Tina market. Well, Tom Keene on Bloomberg this week spoke of a multiple set of glooms hanging over this market, namely taper talk. The Fed signaling in FOMC minutes released Wednesday that is on track to slow its purchases of treasuries and or agencies this year. Despite this being one of the most well-telegraphed plans of action in the history of well-telegraphed plans of action, stocks have sold off in its wake. China slowing. As just discussed, China's economic engine sputtered a bit in July, and that is just one part of a much bigger story that is creating a bit of uncertainty and a headwind in the global economy and the pandemic. It turns out that contrary to views of many prognosticators, COVID is alive and well, and it is leaving a mark economically. We see it in trends in high-frequency data that is hitting demand in the travel and leisure and restaurant sectors. Stop us, by the way, if this sounds familiar. We see it starting to weigh on consumer sentiment, and we're just entering the school opening season. We see it in small business confidence, which will be hit further by the impact of delayed office reopenings. And while some believe the Delta variant is under control, that is surely debatable, it is now clear that reaching herd immunity is a pipe dream. Research released this week out of Oxford and the UK government confirm as much. That keeps alive the risk of additional variants presenting themselves where existing vaccines may not be as effective in neutralizing. 
So that makes for a formidable set of glooms indeed. So are we willing to call the turn? No, let's take them one by one. Does anyone really believe the economy needs the Fed to buy treasuries and agencies? Assets are plenty inflated, especially housing. The Treasury has already announced it is cutting back issuance. Monetary tightening will be done slowly, starting with slowing its rate of purchase long before it even thinks about raising rates. And we have always believed that there are significant deflationary forces, globalization and technology, that will keep interest rates low. If we do get an uncomfortable spike, the Fed knows what to do. As far as China goes, it represents all sorts of wild cards. It could affect investor sentiment. It is our choice for most likely to trigger a turn in investor sentiment, but we don't think we're there yet. And as far as the pandemic goes, say what you will, but we have been remarkably adept at learning to live with the virus. Yes, worst case, travel and leisure and restaurants and bars will take another hit. And that will stress the labor market and consumer spend without additional relief. Tail risks exist in this space for sure, but for now, we think this is manageable. So the search for Tina Turner's will go on. So there you have it. Three things in credit. One, don't confuse post-stimulus correction with a deteriorating economy. It will help you understand current valuations of risk assets. Two, China's fluid policy-driven initiatives are creating a headwind for the global economy. And three, there are no shortage of things to worry about, but nothing rises to the level of a Tina Turner. As always, thanks for joining us. Don't forget to check in on kbra.com for our latest rating reports and research. See you next week.